The Lord said to Jesus in Isaiah's prophecy, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will display my glory. Amen. So God is referring not to the nation of Israel specifically in this prophecy. He is referring to Jesus, his son, his servant, when he says, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will display my glory. We heard that verse in our Old Testament lesson as God is calling upon his son to display his glory to all the nations. We hear a lot about God's glory in the scriptures, especially in the Psalms. High above all the nations is the Lord. His glory towers over the nations. Then they will sing about the ways of the Lord because the glory of the Lord is great. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring a gift and come into the courtyards. The Lord displayed his glory numerous times throughout the Old Testament. Think about how the glory of the Lord led the children of Israel out of their slavery in Egypt. The glory of the Lord appeared as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. When Moses was on top of Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments from the Lord, we are told the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered the mountain for six days. The appearance of the glory of the Lord looked like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Or when the tabernacle was erected, we're told, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tent. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud stayed over it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tent. We end our Lord's Prayer praying, For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. When we sing the psalms in our hymnal, we end the psalm with a doxology. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. The glory of the Lord is not an accidental feature of God's character. It is an essential quality of who God's is, God is. God's glory cannot be removed from him. Otherwise, he is no longer God. People have their glory. That glory might be their reputation, their wealth, or their children. But those things can be taken away from people and they can still remain people. But God's glory cannot be removed from him and him still remain God. That's why God is so jealous of his glory. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another nor my praise to idols. It is shameful when people attempt to take God's glory from the true God and give it to false gods. We all heard an example of that this week when the opening prayer of our United States Congress had these words in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and a God known by names by many faiths. That's just attempting to curry the fickle favor of idolaters. Since God loves to display his glory and God is also zealously guarding his glory, does it not seem strange that Jesus' glory remained hidden for most of his ministry? 
Oh, sure, when Jesus was born, then the heavens filled up with the angels in the Bethlehem sky singing glory to God in the highest. But then throughout most of his life, we're told that there was no attractiveness and no majesty when we saw him. Nothing about his appearance made us desire him. Jesus was just another carpenter to be hired. Jesus was just some other guy from Nazareth, and nothing good came from Nazareth. But God's glory was there because Jesus remained the Son of God. But people were so blinded that they only saw Jesus' humanity. St. Paul tells us why. The God of this age, that's the devil, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from clearly seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. This season of Epiphany is all about Jesus revealing his glory in his works and in his words. And so we will see during this six weeks of Epiphany, Jesus' glimpses of his hidden glory. Today we see a glimpse of that hidden glory in the water of his baptism. But St. Mark sets us up for hidden glory explaining that Jesus' baptism appeared to be like everyone else's baptism. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Very simple, very straightforward. It doesn't seem like there's anything special about Jesus' baptism until Mark adds these details. Just as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven you are my son whom i love with you i am well pleased mark says that the heavens were torn open the greek word there is schizo where we get our word scissors and schism from so the heavens were not daintily cut or nicely nicely opened they were ripped they were torn open they were rended one from another the greek word carries with it the idea of violence the heavens were torn open the set of paintings behind me these were the first set of paintings over a dozen years ago that we received when we were beautifying our sanctuary and i remember being here when the artist melanie brought the paintings, and she was putting the finishing touches on them. Melanie and her father, Pastor Pope, and I sat together in Melanie's dining room as we went through Bible studies, figuring out what to paint. And then she came here, and she was putting the finishing touches on Jesus' baptism painting as she pulled out more gray and black and added it above the dove to show us that the heavens were being torn open. So friends, what do you think of when you hear about the heavens being torn open? What do you expect to happen next? Because usually when we hear these words in Scripture, doom and destruction follows. Think of the time of Noah, when God tore open the floodgates of heaven and then it rained upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, drowning out a wicked and perverse nations of the earth. 
God's extreme nation, was poured out in doom and disaster upon this earth. Or think of the time of Abraham and Lot. God tore the heavens open and and we're told the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire out of the sky from the Lord. God sent fire and sulfur from the heavens to burn up the wicked and perverse cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So when we hear that the heavens are being torn open, It's usually not a very pleasant thing in biblical language. But yet, the prophet Isaiah cried out to the Lord, Oh, that you would rip open the heavens and come down. Isaiah prayed that the Lord would send his doom and destruction upon a wicked and perverse nations of the earth. This background, then, should shape our expectations when we read Mark's gospel about Jesus' baptism, that the heavens would, were torn open. We would expect that God's judgment would come crashing down. After all, look at the people that were coming out into the wilderness to be baptized by John. They were sinners, every one of them. These were sinners who were coming out for, Jesus, for John's baptism to hear a message of repentance and confess their sins. And if they were sinners, then they were ripe for God's judgment, for the wages of sin is death. And this is true of us too, because we are sinners who are ripe for judgment. You and I have broken every one of God's Ten Commandments. We have gotten our white baptismal gowns dirty with our sins. We have given God's glory to false gods of our own making, of vacations, work, sleep, athletics, and anything else that rips us away from God and his worship. We live in fear, or we live in overconfidence. We say things unintentionally that hurt other people, or we say things intentionally to help to hurt other people. We do not follow God's direction to love and help our neighbors around us like we ought So like Moses and Elijah, we're able to see glimpses of God's glory, but because we are sinners like them, we cannot see the fullness of God's glory or we will be destroyed. Or as we heard in our Thirsty podcast this week, and that's my invitation for you to listen to those podcasts by Pastor Lightning and myself as we go through the six chapters of Ecclesiastes where Solomon says that, Everything is meaningless under the sun if we do not have God. And yet, God gives meaning to everything if we have God in our lives. And so, thus, we have earned God's displeasure and wrath. His judgment should come raining down on us from the heavens. For on the last day. The heavens will be torn open and Jesus and his angels will descend and they should descend to pour out eternal fire and wrath upon the wicked and perverse nations of this earth. 
And yet we hear from Mark that Jesus comes to be baptized in the Jordan River by John, just like all of those admitted sinners. And then after he is baptized, the heavens are torn open. And what comes down? Fire? Sulfur? A, a wipe them out kind of flood? No, none of those things. Rather, what comes down is a dove and a voice. A dove and a voice. What kind of judgment is that? That judgment comes down when the voice says, you are my son whom I love. I am well pleased with you. There is Jesus in the waters. The Christ, the son of God, the pleasure of God the Father. Glory revealed in the water. And this is God's judgment on his son when he says, you are my son whom I love. I am well pleased with you. God loves this man, Jesus, and he loves what Jesus is doing. Standing there in the dirty waters of the Jordan River, getting dirty with humanity's sins. That he is standing in solidarity with sinners. That the father is well pleased that he chose his son to carry out the rescue mission for humanity. He is well pleased that Jesus gets down into the water to get dirty like sinners, like you and me. But still, where is the judgment? Where is the displeasure and the wrath? That comes three years later at the cross. God's righteous judgment comes crashing down like a ton of bricks. But instead of the heavens being torn open and fire and lightning coming down, instead we're told that there's three hours of darkness that covers the earth. And then Matthew says that the curtain in the temple was schismed. It was torn in two from top to bottom. Jesus identified with sinners in the waters of the Jordan River and Jesus identified with sinners on Calvary's cross as he took the sin and guilt of all of mankind on his perfectly divine human body. He suffered the wrath and the judgment that should have been poured out on sinners like us. On Good Friday, the heavens were not torn open to pour out wrath and judgment on all of humanity, but rather the heavens were opened just a sliver to pour out God's wrath and judgment directly down upon his son, the son whom he loved. By shutting the heavens to our destruction, Jesus has opened the heavens to our salvation. And all starts here in the waters of Jesus' baptism. That's what Jesus is saying yes to when he steps into the water. And it pleases the Father that the Son takes our place to, to give us a life that has no end. It pleases the Holy Spirit that he descends upon the Son to anoint him and bless him for his work of salvation. And because Jesus carried out his work, what happens at your baptism? At your baptism, all of your sins are washed away in those Christ-filled waters that you are clothed with the white robe of Christ's righteousness. That the Father says to you, you are my beloved child. 
I am well pleased with you because of what Christ has done for you. And the Holy Spirit descends upon you, making you that child of God, making you a new creation in Christ, anointing you, blessing you, sanctifying you for work in God's kingdom. At your baptism, the gates of hell are slammed shut and the doors of heaven are thrown wide open because there is hidden glory in your baptism too. Amen.